This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. Let's join Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. How are you, mate? Very good, thanks. Uh, Let's first talk about the markets and how they have reacted from Friday's non-farm payroll numbers, which were pretty robust, weren't they? Yeah, I'd say it's a nervy start to the week. I think the jobs report itself was really strong, and that's normally a good thing, but uh, it's not really what the markets wanted to see. So we had strong jobs growth, but really the key takeaway was that wages number. And that's the one that the Fed, I think, is most interested in right now. It's anticipating a slowdown in inflation over 2023. That's driven largely by base effects. Obviously, everything is compared to the year just gone, which is why we've seen such large numbers this year. But also the fact that energy prices are are not as high uh, as they have been. Um, uh, That, of course, could change over the course of the winter if we get a really cold winter or situation deteriorates even further in Ukraine and with the global gas situation. But I think most people are expecting that a lot of the base effects and a lot of the comparables are going to be favourable for 2023 inflation. Not to the extent that it will bring it back to 2% per se, but that it will bring it much lower than it is now. However, one thing that the Fed is deeply concerned about is entrenched inflation, and that comes up most clearly in the wage numbers. And that's one thing they've wanted to see come down more and more. Uh, And there has been on a decent trend over the last two or three jobs reports, but this one, it really blew it out the water. The markets were expecting 0.3%. It was 0.6%, so double the monthly expectations. And then the prior reading was also revised slightly higher. So this is going to be really concerning for the Fed, and it's a massive step back. What it means is we'll probably still see a 50 base point rate hike uh, in December, but it really lowers the possibility, therefore, that we'll see maybe one more and done from the Fed. It could even mean that we see another 50 base points rather than another 25, for example, at the first meeting of the new year. And it just creates that cloud of uncertainty again in terms of where does the terminal rate ultimately sit, how far is the Fed willing to go. And that sounds like a lot to read into these numbers. But the problem that we have at this current juncture is that we need a series of good reports for the Fed to seriously envisage a point where they can put the terminal rate and where that they can effectively stop causing damage to the economy with these rate hikes so therefore these reports are important more in terms of consistently better numbers one setback uh, i think feels like a much greater setback than it would ordinarily uh, and that's why i think we've started the week in a nervy way we're seeing most european markets now slightly lower in the us as well also slightly lower uh, so Yeah, it's not the best start to the week, but it's not the end of the world either. European and uh, US markets slightly lower, but over in Hong Kong, we saw an absolutely massive rise in the stock market, 4.5%. Was that mainly down to this uh, apparent relaxation of COVID restrictions? Yeah, I think more and more that we hear, the more it's clear that we are seeing a relaxation of zero COVID. It's been now classified down or it's expected to be classified down from kind of grade A to grade B from perhaps as soon as January. So that's a massive change in terms of what we can expect from therefore from officials when we do see flare-ups in terms of case numbers. The commentary that we're getting in terms of describing as the recent COVID strains as being less harmful, uh, I think is an important thing as well, because that's justification for relaxation of COVID curbs as well. And I think that it, it comes as a great relief, I think, to people in the markets, because when we saw the protest kicking off, you kind of thought this could go one of two ways. Do you see people listen to, which it seems to be what we've seen. It was probably something that was already in the pipeline, but it does seem that there's a, a great effort being made to try and um, gauge the public mood uh, and realign with it. 
or there could have been a more hardline approach, which I think is what people feared. And I think the fact that we're seeing more of a, a leaning towards the former is coming as a great relief. And that's why Hong Kong and that's why Chinese stocks uh, as a whole have started the week on such a high. Meanwhile, Craig, uh, oil prices have risen in response to the G7 cap on Russian crude, which has now come into effect. Uh, are we expecting higher prices during the week? It's really hard to say because the actual price cap itself was announced on Friday. So that's cap at $60 a barrel, which is probably towards the stricter end of the scale. If you think that a week before that, the discussions were happening apparently around $65 to $70. So it shows that some of the more hardliners, maybe the kind of some of the Eastern European countries have uh, have um, really uh, knuckled down uh, and got more something more resembling the deal that they want. So I think that's uh, an important point. What it does do is create quite a lot of uncertainty in terms of what it ultimately will mean for Russian output. There's going to be countries like China and India that are going to find a way around it, continue to purchase cheap Russian crude. Of course, there is the other angle as well with these countries is that their bargaining power has improved because they're saying, well, we don't want to necessarily obey the cap and we don't want to therefore be seen to be doing so. But your options are dwindling uh, and you need buyers. So I guess from that perspective, that's one of the indirect ways that the cap can bring down how much the Kremlin can ultimately generate from sales of crude oil without disrupting the global order in terms of supply and demand. Uh, the other thing that we don't know is maybe some of those smaller countries that are more concerned about sanctions from the G7 uh, that may look elsewhere. Uh, so I guess we, we will see how that goes. But uh, I think the fact that this is now coming to force is, a, is an important step from the G7. The other thing as well, I think, that's having an impact on the markets today, and we are seeing crude trading up around 2% at this point in time, is, aside from China, obviously, the world's second largest economy, one of the world's uh, greatest uh, users of crude oil, uh, is the OPEC Plus meeting. Well, usually took, plus, took place on a Sunday, which I find interesting, uh, but... They decided to keep production steady. So the last meeting, they announced a cut by 2 million barrels a day. They decided to keep uh, output steady at this meeting. Now, th there was speculation that there could be up to another 2 million barrel cut. But clearly, I think the uncertainty around everything from the Chinese COVID situation and what that means for demand next year to Russian output and the G7 price cap and the global economic environment and the demand side of the equation there, what impact is interest rates going to have, um, how much longer are they going to rise for and what does that mean for uh, the global economy and global demand. That's a huge amount of uncertainty to try and factor into your forecast. So I think that probably explains why we have seen uh, output remain steady. The next meeting is actually scheduled for June, but uh, don't be surprised if maybe we see an emergency meeting scheduled before then, because you can imagine the picture is going to evolve enormously over the course of the next two or three months. Uh, but that was another thing that was really um, drove that kind of additional volatility in the markets. But it could have been so much worse. There could have been so much more volatility if those... EU price cap G7 talks went into the weekend and you had the uncertainty around OPEC plus if there had been a big cut that that could have created a massive wobble on the open but thankfully um, the G7 announcement came on Friday and OPEC went in line with expectations so that's why we haven't seen a bigger move on Monday. It's interesting that the oil price didn't fall actually because of uh, OPEC agreeing to stick to its policy. I'm surprised that it's gone up today. Why would that be? 
So I think it's gone up largely because of the China COVID situation. So I think the oil prices are moving more in line with what we're seeing, for example, in the Hang Seng and the Shanghai Composite. But also, if you look at the markets, the way there was the way speculation was moving on Friday, it was that G7 would announce a price cap at sixty dollars, and that uh, OPEC Plus would stay still. And so those two things have happened in line um, since Friday, uh, and that's why I think we haven't seen more of a move. And if anything, the move has been positive because of what we've seen in China. Finally, Craig, we've seen quite a broad selection of PMI data today. What stands out for you? What stands out for me is that is how different some of it is, to be quite honest. The European PMIs were understandably weak. These were final readings, so you don't expect big revisions, but they were almost all uh, below 50 and considerably so. The China PMI slipped uh, more than expected to just above 46 uh, that's the services PMI but again you can argue that that was expected to some extent because we are seeing tighter COVID restrictions we're seeing record COVID cases and the relaxation hasn't really started yet to any significant degree so that would explain it in the short term and really the COVID relaxation story kind of overrides it to some great extent and then you've got India which actually surpassed expectations comfortably above 56 and it seems that the economy is in a really strong position it's in a strong position at a time when the global economy is not in such a strong position and I think the imports of cheap Russian crude helps that and helps the, uh, the the inflation situation and helps in terms of therefore interest rates but also the economy stands to gain from maybe some diversification away from China in terms of supply chains and things like that. I think you look at the Indian stock market for example and it hit a record high uh, over the course of the last week or two uh, so it does seem that India is one of the very few countries that's in a, a really good moment right now. And you can see that reflected in that PMI survey. But broadly speaking, I think it's quite weak. Even Japan, which is still above 50, is barely above 50. feels like only a, a matter of time until we see a change there as well. OK, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Thanks a lot. This is the Oanda Podcast.